We are launching a sermon series today. And uh, this series that we're launching is called Glimpse of the Messiah. Glimpse of the Messiah. So what we're going to be doing is taking the book of Hebrews, and we're going to be walking through little portions of the book of Hebrews. The author of the book of Hebrews was trying to make much of Jesus Christ. And as he went into celebrating the supremacy of Christ, he grabbed a bunch of quotes out of the Psalms and brought them forward into the book of Hebrews to try to explain more of who Christ is. And it gives us a glimpse of the Messiah. So we're actually not going to spend a whole lot of time in Hebrews each week. We're just going to kind of quick intro, see the statement, the quote, and then we're going to get back to that Old Testament psalm and walk through the whole of that psalm and check out what he was revealing from times past about who Jesus Christ is, okay? So the glimpse given of the Messiah. Let's drink deep each week of who he is and what was revealed and learn a little bit more about him and then also learn a little bit more about uh, what we need to be going after. So let's get it started. Uh, I'm going to turn to Hebrews chapter 1. You can turn with me if you want. You don't have to if you want to. We'll be in Psalm 2 today, but Hebrews 1 is where we're coming from. And uh, so let me just start by reading this. Long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. Everybody say, that's Jesus. All right. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature, and he upholds the universe by the word of his power. After making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, having become as much superior to the angels as the name he has inherited is more excellent than theirs. For in which of the angels did God ever say, now here comes our quote, you are my son, today I have begotten you. You are my son, today I have begotten you. That's the first quote he brings from the Psalms, and there's some massive depth to this phrase that we might miss. We're used to some of the phrases, like John 3.16, and he is the only begotten son, and, but there's way more depth to this little quote than that, okay? And we're going to learn a lot of it. And uh, he says, you are my son, today I have begotten you. So, let's turn to Psalm chapter 2. Psalm chapter 2, and we're going to be digging in. The quote is about halfway, actually even a little more than halfway through this passage, and so we're going to get it to it a little bit later today, and you'll see how big of a point it is when we get there. Uh, psalm 2, this is a psalm that was written by David. And now, well, it doesn't say that, Tim. Like normally it says by David, written right there on the top of the psalm, and mine doesn't say that. And uh, that's true, it doesn't say it right in there, but actually it's quoted in uh, Acts chapter 4. And in Acts 4.25, it gives the statement that this psalm and the quote from the psalm was written by David. And uh, so we know this is a Davidic psalm written by one who was king of Israel, all right? David had some promises given to him. And if we're going to understand his song, his psalm, we're going to have to understand a little bit more about David and the promise given to him. So here's another read from 2 Samuel. And uh, you may want to write this down, 2 Samuel 7, 8 through 16. This is called the Davidic Covenant. 
This is the promise that God made to David about what he would do with the kingship of Israel. What God the Father would do with the kingship of Israel. 2 Samuel 8, here we go. It says, Now therefore, thus you shall say to my servant David, Thus says the Lord of hosts, I took you from the pasture, from the following the sheep, that you should be prince over my people Israel. God's like, hey, David, don't forget where I brought you from. And uh, brought you from shepherding, put you as prince and king over all of Israel. And I have been with you wherever you went and have cut off all your enemies from before you. And I will make for you a great name, like the name of the great ones of the earth. And I will appoint a place for my people Israel and will plant them so that they may dwell in their own place and be disturbed no more. If you hear the promises being given to David, he's like, dude, I'm going to do some big things with you. And there's going to be some exciting stuff that goes on with the nation of Israel, and there's going to be some great blessing for you. And uh, David has some awesome promises, but it goes way more than just with David. Uh, He then jumps down a few verses. I will be to him a father, and he shall be to me a son. Remember that quote? Like we just read that off in Hebrews and this is a promise made to David by God the Father. He's like, I'm going to be to you a father and you're going to be to me a son. The king of Israel had a privilege of being treated as son to the father of the universe. This is what every king of Israel was being given. So the quote that we just read from Hebrews is not just a statement about Jesus being the Son of God. It's so much more. It's also about him being King of Israel, King of kings and Lord of lords. And I will be to him a father. He shall be to me a son. And then he closes up a few verses later. And your house and your kingdom shall be made sure forever before me. Your throne shall be established forever. This is called the Davidic covenant, the promise to David, not just that he'd do some cool things with David, but that for all of eternity, there would be some kind of impact that would come through the kingship, the throne to Israel, okay? And uh, this is a huge deal, and we're going to see this fully answered in Jesus Christ. Jesus is the answer to this covenant, and uh, everybody say, Jesus is the answer, Right? So it sounds like Sunday school, right? Like, isn't the answer just always Jesus? And, and uh, I'm just telling you, as we dive into this, we're going to learn all about the greatness, the grandeur, the majesty of Jesus Christ. And so our job today is to catch a glimpse of the Messiah as the Son of God, which means more than just Son of God. It also means uh, King of Israel and the privilege that comes with it. All right, here we go. So let's dive in and let's learn a little bit. First point, uh, the world naturally rebels. Stand by the anointed one. And uh, How should I be responding to this Christ and what should I be learning of him? The world naturally rebels. Stand by the anointed one. We start out in verse 2. Remember David, or chapter 2, David is writing this. Why do the nations rage and the people's plot in vain? And uh, you probably could put some major whine on that voice and it would be very accurate. Like, why do the nations rage? 
What is up with that? Like there's, there's this huge complaining moment. And, and the word why, this is like the ultimate why you get from your child when they come in the room and they've asked for something very special to them. And you're like, yeah, no, not right now. And they're like, why? Uh, right? And all of a sudden you have to give answer as far as they're demanding, right? And uh, why? And uh, why? Do the nations rage and the people's plot in vain? Notice what's going on. He's like, I have no clue why this is going on. But the nations are trying to stand against God. The people are getting together and they're plotting together to go against the king. Why? Why are you doing that, man? Don't you see how awesome the king is? Don't you see how awesome God Almighty is? And you're going against him. And uh, why? It's a rhetorical question, but it demonstrates the ridiculousness of their action, right? Why? And, uh, why do the nations rage and the people's plot invade? Why are they angry? Why are they shaking their fist? Why are they standing against God? And uh, he says, the kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel together. The kings, these are like the people in charge of the nation. There's one the king of this nation, and then the king of this, and then the king of this, right? And each one of these individual leaders of a nation, they are setting themselves against God. And then it says, and the rulers. Those are actually uh, guys that work for the king, okay? Rulers, they sit under the king. They're trying to make sure the king's wishes and desires and commands get accomplished. The rulers have been given position by the king. These rulers, well, they're taking counsel together, they're all powwowing, right? There's like a collection of guys under the king, and they're like, okay, this is what the king's asking for, and I totally don't get how we're going to accomplish it. What are we going to do now? And do you have any ideas? And I've been thinking like this, but I don't see it really working out. And do you have a thought? And they're beginning to try to counsel together. How can we possibly accomplish standing against God Almighty and having this thing come together? Notice his statement there. Why do the nations rage and the people's plot in vain? Like, it isn't going to come through, man. There's not going to be any fruition. You're going to miss on it. It's not going to happen. The kings set themselves, the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed, saying. So he's taking a stand, these kings and these rulers, against God the Father and against the anointed one. Who is that? Well, this is a psalm talking about the king being established. In fact, just so you know, this psalm is called a coronation psalm. It's a psalm they would sing every time the next king was put into position under the Davidic covenant. And so the statement was, hey man, God's made promise that awesome things are going to happen. And uh, and you're taking a stand against God the Father and against his anointed king. So this anointed one, the hoped one here, is the king being put into position, being crowned. Each king being crowned. This is being said of them. Why are you plotting against the Lord? Yahweh, right? When you see capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D, all caps, that means it's Yahweh, the personal name of God. Why are you standing against personally against God and against his anointed the king saying, let us burst their bonds apart and cast away their cords from us. 
And uh, that's how we talk today too, right? And uh, let us burst their bonds apart and cast away their cords from us. And uh, what's he saying? He's just simply saying, um, well, let's not be under their rule anymore. Time to break out from underneath Yahweh and the king. Time for us to break free. Time for us to taste of a little bit of our own freedom. And we're done with this rulership over us. And uh, time for us to bust out and shake a fist and stand against. And uh, this whole psalm of coronation starts out by recognizing the voice of the world saying, I will stand against God and against his chosen king. And uh, the kings that took over were singing a song and having the people sing a song that recognizes that people will stand against them. And that's the end of it. And it's fruitful, it's fruitless, it's not going to come anywhere, it's futile in nature, and, but they're going to do it. And, um, you know, this past week and a half or so, we were on vacation, and, and so we took a trip out west. We were actually in uh, Southern California, and uh, it was a nice time out there, got to relax on the beach and uh, get some great weather. It was pure sunshine every day, so it was absolutely gorgeous. It was the 70s and low 80s and uh, just hanging out out there. We enjoyed that time. Got to see Steve Downs, for those of you who've been around for a while, one of the pastors who was on staff with us here a couple years back and had a little bit of a lunch with him, which was great. And, uh, but we ended up being able to relax there. On the way home, we came to the airport and uh, we decided to get uh, on the, in the airport a little bit early just in case and we were hanging out. They ended up uh, getting us on the plane and we're all seated and everything's in and we're like ready to rock and this thing is on time, man. We were excited for where we were headed to get back home and, uh, and then the flight attendant gets on and says, hey, I just want you to know we have a little bit of a problem. It's going to be a little bit of a delay. Hang on. Okay. And uh, so we're sitting there for a few minutes and then she gets on and she says, Okay, here's the problem. We weigh too much. <laughs> I'm not kidding. We were like, all right, who ate? <laughs> Who's out of here? Right, I never knew they took weight before. I'm like, they're like, she gets on and she goes, we're going to have to figure out what to do about it. <laughs> and I'm like, we'll take a vote. Somebody's out. <laughs> we're getting you out of the plane, man. Five or ten of you are gone, right? And uh, we're trying to figure out how and what's going to happen. And you would have thought they would have just said, does anybody want to volunteer to exit? No, they didn't do that. They said, everybody stand up, grab all your luggage. You're all off the plane. So we all had to get off the plane. Now we're all coming back out. You know how long it takes to come in and put your stuff in. Now you have to do that on the way out. Somehow, miraculously, it takes four hours for the first guy to get off the plane. Have you ever noticed that? You can't explain why, man. Just get your stuff and go, right? And everybody's standing there just waiting. And then they get off the plane. We all get out and we're standing around. And then she gets on out there in the airport. And she says, all right, here's what we're going to do. We have two choices. The first choice is to take some fuel off the plane. Now... My daughter, Alyssa, is sitting next to us. She's like, I wouldn't do that one. I wouldn't, I wouldn't take the fuel off the plane. That seems like a bad plan, right? And uh, they ended up messing around with some other ideas, and they chose to defuel 
the plane a little bit. And uh, we made it, so everything worked out. But they told us, we're now taking some fuel off the plane. At that point, one of the ladies who was on the plane, up front in the airplane, walks over and just starts going after one of the guys. What are you doing? This is nuts. You owe me my money back. This is taking forever. And now you're taking fuel off the plane. And I don't even want to be on this plane anymore. You people are nuts. Give me my money back. To which she became the talk everywhere. Like I went over just to take a little walk around. And the guys over here are like, did you see the lady who was going off? Right? Everybody's talking about her. And she's demanding her money back. To which the guy standing at the computer is like, That was it. It's just, you're done. It ain't happening, right? And uh, so she ends up going back and sitting down. At some point, they got enough fuel off the plane. I don't even know how they do that math, nor do I want to know. But they figured out they now have enough fuel to get us back home to Peoria. And uh, so they get us all back on. And as we're getting back on the plane, I'm walking past that same lady who is now seated in the second row. And uh, she is apologizing to everybody around her. I'm so sorry I lost my cool. I mean, I must have looked like a nut. And you could see the other people, they're like. <laughs> right? Nobody's answering. And uh, she's like, I just lost it. I just felt like it was so unfair. And I can't believe it. And she's talking out loud as we're all passing. And I'm like, oh, my word, just be quiet. Right? Just let it go. Right? And uh, we got in, we sat down, and, and uh, everything else from then on was uneventful. It was a great trip. Know this, man. She was shaking her fist at one of the flight attendants and couldn't move anything. These guys are trying to shake their fist at God Almighty and try to move something. And everybody say, that's a bad plan. I'm just telling you, man. God's got a plan. He is sovereign in what he's doing. He is moving mightily. He knows exactly what he's doing, and it does make complete sense. May we not stand against him in vain. And all of God's people said, simple question, who are you standing by? Are you standing by the world? And saying, it should be all about me. Why aren't they? listening to us more, and I should get more of the, or are you standing by Jesus Christ, the ultimate anointed one, the King of kings and Lord of lords, and making sure that you are representing him well, and the world will naturally rebel. Make sure you are standing by the anointed one, Jesus Christ, all right? That's first. Second, our God declares his sovereign rule, trust him. Our God declares his sovereign rule, trust him. In the first section, we heard the world begin to speak as they said, let us burst out these bonds and burst apart and so on. Uh, now uh, we hear this come out. He who sits in the heavens, everybody say, that's God the Father. He who sits in the heavens laughs. Right? And you're getting nowhere with this threat. And uh, the Lord holds them in derision. The Lord holds them in derision. And uh, in other words, there is no real threat here. And what you have to say isn't moving me or changing me. I know exactly what needs to be done and I'm accomplishing the right thing. And how often we believe that we are brilliant, 
but God is actually dead on right with what's happening. Lord, may we trust you and let you lead and guide in it. And uh, the Father, he sits in the heavens. He laughs at the ridiculous challenge. He laughs at the fist shaking and the threat. He holds them in derision and uh, finds it as an untrue challenge. Then he will speak to them in his wrath. And uh, then he will speak to them in his wrath. Know this, the righteous God of the universe will respond to sin. Man, we better get this clear. The righteous God of the universe will respond to sin. And he has every right to respond to sin. It is his privilege given his character of perfection to address selfishness, sinfulness, and rebellion outright. And to God, he speaks with wrath and he has every right and privilege to do this, to bring this against rebellion. And to wrath, it is the just response against sin. And uh, notice it says next, and terrify them in his fury. Fury is like wrath expressed. It's wrath on the warpath. It is God out to make things clear. And uh, man, I'm just telling you, America has done well at grasping onto God is love. And uh, that is true. God is love. Everybody say that's true. It is true. God is love. But hear me. God does also in his righteousness and holiness respond with wrath to rebellion and outright sin. He does. And, and you can be like, yeah, I don't really get that. How does a God of love have wrath? And I can tell you that I could put some words to it, but at some level I also have to say, I don't to- totally fully understand how to explain it, but I know this. He is always love. He doesn't stop being love. And yet, at some points, the most loving, expressive thing is to stand for what's right and express that out. And and I'm telling you, God does that with all he's got. He stands against wrong, rebellion against him. And God is love. And he does have an expression of wrath. If you're in this room today and you're like, yeah, that's not really the message I came to hear. I can only say, and that's the full message of God's word. And may we hear fully who he is. God is love. And he does care for us and he does reach out for us and he does do what's best for us in the whole. But he also stands against what's wrong. And may we know that and expect that and count on that in his character. And um, it says he will speak to them in his wrath and terrify them in his fury. I don't know if you can ever think back to a time where you were terrified, where it gripped you inside, your stomach flipped, you felt yourself begin to shake, you were absolutely gripped to the core with what was going on. That's what they're feeling as they begin to see God move. And God has a statement saying, as for me, I have set my king on Zion, my holy hill. You just have to imagine that if his fury is expressed in a way that is making them shudder with fear, that this was thundered forth. 
As for me, I have set my king on Zion, my holy hill. And we better hear that word my with all we've got. He's like, you want to take a stand? Then I stand against you. Dude, that is not where you want to be. And that's the best way I can say it. He's like, why? Why would the people's plot in vain? God the Father has it all in hand and he is moving in this world and he does share of his love and his mercy. He lavishes it out. But I'm telling you, he stands against rebellion. Don't kid yourself. And if there's something you need to be letting go of, do it, man. And if now is the time and here is the place, do it. Hearing that your God is real about sin and he loves to lavish on. We're going to see the word bless come up in just a little bit as he pours on the mercy and the hope and the help and the, yes, that's who our God is, but he also takes sin for real. As for me, I have set my king on Zion, my holy hill. Remember, this is a song, and I am not about to sing it, right? But remember, this is a song, and they got to this point in the song, and they're coronating, they're crowning the king, the next king of Israel, and they're singing out that God the Father will stand against anybody who stands against him. And this one being crowned is being crowned by God the Father. He has set his king on his holy hill. He owns the universe. And he owns every leader being put in place. Romans chapter 13. May we believe that as we walk into elections this fall. And as you vote your vote, whatever it may be, know this, God allows kings to be deposed and kings to be set up. And may we trust in him as he's moving in this world. And yes, it is broken. Everybody say it's broken. And sometimes he uses broken people in a broken world to do his will and move the right way in things. And let's just see what God's going to do, uh, even in this place. As for me, I have set my king on Zion, my holy hill. He's in charge and he's sovereign. Do you believe that? This past week, I had the privilege of preaching up in Elgin. And uh, like I said, they had a Saturday night and two Sunday services. So we were up there the whole weekend preaching. And and I had a chance to interact with a bunch of the people up there. They actually had a men's event going on. So all the men, pastoral staff that were all out to this men's retreat. And so they brought in some other harvest pastors to preach at the different campuses up there. So we preached Elgin. I preached Elgin. And, and there were other guys preaching the other six campuses. And, and uh, so I ended up bringing a message that really comes from uh, four years of what we've been walking through around here. And went back to a passage we had walked through a little bit back Uh, years ago when we talked about Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane and how you pray in the midst of crisis, how you worship in the midst of crisis. And our talk really became very simple. It's the battle cry that we ended up having as I was going through the surgeries and whatnot. My God can, my God will, and even if my God doesn't, I will worship him. Amen, man. 
I'm just telling you, when we start talking about what we're struggling with and we see God as fully capable, my God can, and a huge willing heart to lavish on, my God will, but there's times where I don't see the whole picture and he does. And so even if he doesn't, I will worship him. I'm not looking for my God to be the sugar daddy, magic genie to give me whatever I want. I'm looking for my God to fix this broken place. I'm looking for my God to heal my soul. And if we start looking for him to transform me and glorify him, and you're going to see him doing so much around you that you now agree with. And you're like, oh, that's what he was doing. And how often do we get into declaring out what we want? But in fact, that's about my glory and trying to change him. Not his glory and seeing me change. And that's what we talked about as we walked through the passage of Jesus praying in the Garden of Gethsemane as he said, take this cup from me, but not my will be done, your will be done. My God can, my God will, and even if my God doesn't. And man, we had just uh, a number of people come up after each service that were broken, uh, just heartbroken going through some things. And, and uh, we had a chance to pray with them and pray over them and uh, just an amazing number of people that were going to have surgery that week and very nervous about it, big surgeries and uh, things going on. And uh, we've been praying for them throughout the week, I have been, and, and uh, just an amazing time to be able to share that out. I'm just telling you, we walk through this broken world and it is so easy for us to get so self-absorbed that our only prayer request is, God, will you please make this more comfortable? And... Um, it's not about my comfort, it's about my king. It's not about my comfort, it's about my king. So as we walk through this broken world, as you walk through your broken experience, are you ready to trust your sovereign God to handle it as he sees fit? Are you ready to say, all right, Lord, this is the way I see it and I'm gonna be very specific about it. Lord, would you please... But my God can, my God will, and even if my God doesn't, I will worship you. I stand with the heavenly Father and I stand with the anointed king, no matter what comes down, because he knows best. And all of God's people said, dude, that is called worshiping your sovereign God. And God declares out, hey, I'm in charge. I've set my king on my holy hill. I am ruling. I am reigning. And I am doing amazing things amongst you. Don't stand against. Come with me and watch me move. Are you willing to trust your king? Simple question. What is it that you are being challenged with this week? What pain what problem, maybe what thing going on at work, maybe it's a change of work, what thing in your family, what thing with your child, 
where it is time to put your trust in your sovereign God who rules this universe and in fact sets up every ruler and takes down every ruler and he's in charge. Are you ready to trust him? Our God is an awesome God. May we trust him fully in the midst. All right, third point. The king is coronated by the heavenly father. Obey, respect, and worship. The king is coronated or crowned by the heavenly father. Obey, respect, and worship. And uh, now we come to the last section, and this is where the quote actually is that's back in Hebrews. Uh, This is now the king speaking as he says, I will tell of the decree. David's the one who wrote this. This is David initially writing it. Every king, as they would go through this song, would say this part. I will tell of the decree. The Lord said to me, you are my son. Today I have begotten you. David originally saying this as he's quoting off what was in 2 Samuel and then each king after it saying this, saying this was the promise made to me. That God, the heavenly father, would declare out, you are my son, today I have begotten you. And a huge privilege with this. Everybody say, this is a big deal. Man, we better grasp this is a huge deal. This is the king being requested to join the family of God the father. This is adoption taking place right in front of you. As he's like, you are now my son, adopted in. You are family Becoming the king was like joining family. Uh, They were representing God at the highest levels. And the king had great privilege. For uh, Jesus, he was the ultimate example of this crowning. And he was the ultimate example of the begotten. Hear this now. He says, you are my begotten son. And we know that's a big deal. We hear it in John 3, 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, right? And so... We used to think, and you may only think of John 3.16, this is only Jesus. Know this, he is speaking of each king throughout Israel being begotten at some level. There is a call to privilege in this, as he's like, I'm telling you, there's something unique I'm doing in you spiritually that is amazing. Jesus Christ is so much more than that. He's the only begotten. There's something going on in him unlike every other king. And here's what it is. He is God himself taking on physical flesh. There is the fullness of God and the fullness of man. And he is the only truly begotten son. As he calls out at this king is begotten, he's adopted. But Jesus Christ is not adopted. Fully God, fully man fully in the bloodline of God Almighty. He is the ultimate answer to this statement. You are my son, my only begotten son. As God the Father declares that out about Jesus Christ and it thunders across the universe, know this, we have a king and his name is Jesus Christ. We have a king, and he will reign, and he will rule. Check out some of the other statement here now. You are my son. Today I have begotten you. Jesus, the ultimate answer. Ask of me, and I will make the nations your heritage and the ends of the earth your possession. Notice it doesn't say when he'll make that happen, but that he will. 
And it's all fulfilled in Jesus Christ. He has the ultimate kingship position where all nations will report to him. He will physically be ruling over as king. So right now, he is spiritually ruling as king. There will be a time where he sits physically as king to satisfy the Davidic covenant, 2 Samuel 8, to satisfy Psalm chapter 2. Jesus Christ will reign as king of kings and lord of lords. He will stand as the only righteous king throughout all of eternity. He will rule with an absolute, clear, pure heart, Jesus Christ, with all perfection, all discernment, and all insight, he is the King of kings and Lord of lords. And all of God's people said, man, that's a huge promise for us, and uh, huge for us to grasp with him, that he has the nations at his feet and the earth as his possessions. You shall break them with a rod of iron. And dash them in pieces like potter's vessel, and uh, like a rod of iron. And uh, the rod is the ruling stick, and the iron is something that cannot be broken. And like your rule is indefinite. And uh, notice he says right after it, uh, like broken into pieces like a potter's vessel. I didn't know this, but uh, it turns out in Egypt, uh, when a king was going to war against another nation, he would take a vessel, a pot of clay, and he would write the name of the nation they were going to war with on it. And then he would hold it up in front of the people who were going to be ruling or leading his war. And he said, this is who we go against. Smash. And this is what will happen to them. Now go to war. That was the last send-off for the Egyptian leaders uh, as the broken vessel. And that's a little bit of what he's alluding to here, most likely, is he's got the broken vessel concept as he says, I'm writing down those who are standing against me and I will not be defeated. And uh, like, well, that's not a very happy thought. And uh, they agreed. Look at the next line of the song. Now, therefore, O kings, be wise. Be warned, O rulers of the earth. Right? Stop the rebellion, man. Get it in line and worship and uh, spend time with your God. Serve the Lord with fear and rejoice with trembling. Kiss the Son. So a couple of command statements. Serve and uh, make sure that you spend time honoring him as God Almighty. It says serve the Lord with fear, rejoice with trembling. Did you know that the words rejoice and tremble go together? Rejoice and with trembling. Honestly understanding the bigness of your God is essential. Honestly grasping the bigness and the rightness and the purity of your God, it's essential. Otherwise, we get into the self-lifting um, up, uh, shaking a fist at God mode. And uh, he says, serve the Lord with fear and rejoice with trembling Kiss the son. This literally is like a bow to your knee and kiss his ring. This is a respecting him as being king in charge. Kiss the son, the king, the one who was just crowned. Show respect and honor to the king, lest he be angry and you perish in the way, for his wrath is quickly kindled. Man, be careful. The righteousness of your God is real. Don't toy. 
Spend time honoring your God, pouring it on, serving him and kissing his ring, blessing him, worshiping him. Look what happens. Blessed are all who take refuge in him. Blessed are all who take refuge in him. Man, there's no greater way to end this psalm. There is a God who is love. He loves with all mercy and all grace and he pours it on and he cares exactly where you are and what you're going through. This God also cares about righteousness. Man, please be on your knees before your king. Please get real about sin and confess it out and lay it before him and be done with it. Down with being persecuted by God, up with being blessed by God. And all of God's people said, right? And that's really what the psalm is calling to. Respect the king he's put in place. And ultimately now that is Jesus Christ for us. The glimpse of the Messiah all the way back into the time of David as he's writing the psalm. He's like, get this, your kingdom will last forever. Can you imagine being David? How? Like, I'm not going to die? What do, you, what do you mean by that? Oh, you just mean like my kids or something? What are you talking about? No, what I mean is God Almighty is going to humble himself and become a man. He is going to take up residence within the flesh of man through your lineage. He is going to be crowned as the anointed Messiah King. God Almighty will take on the throne of your kingdom. And for all of eternity, Jesus Christ will rule as King of kings and Lord of lords. Him in charge. Dude, he is in charge. Do you know that? He is in charge. Are you living that? May you kiss the sun. We just don't talk that way. How about talk this way? Dude, show him some respect. See who he is. Grasp the authority of your God and reveal out the sin you're holding on to and be done with it that God might be glorified and worship him with all you've got. Blessed are those who find refuge in the Lord Jesus Christ. And all of God's people said, man, that's a glimpse of the Messiah from years back. Let's pray.